Welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. I'm Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today, we're continuing our fairly new series on the story of our loop. And I am thrilled to have Deb and Fred with us. They're going to tell us about their Great Loop adventure. But before we jump in, we want to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Curtis Stokes and Associates, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners and viewers to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. And with the business out of the way, Deb and Fred, thanks for joining me today. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, we're thrilled to have you here because I know your loop completion was actually fairly recent. So we'll get a kind of recent perspective on finishing the loop. But let's start off, you know, kind of from the beginning. Tell us a little bit about what made you interested in the loop and what made you decide to drop those dock lines and do it. Well, when we uh, when we bought our first cruising boat in, in 2000, my, my mother sent me a present of a book called uh, Honey, Let's Get a Boat. Mm-hmm. which I'm sure you're very familiar with. Yes. I, I read the book and uh, was pretty excited about that. And I, I knew I'd have a hard time getting Deb to actually go along. So I worked on her for about 22 years. And, uh, <laughs> and then, you know, and we had the things, kids, all those things kind of had to get out of the way. And then uh, COVID came along and it was clear I could do my work from home. Um, so if I could work from home, I could work from the boat. So we decided to go ahead and uh, get, get started. And we started uh, June of last year. So were you working full-time aboard the boat? Because that's always a question we get from people who are curious, especially post-COVID, um, if they can do that. Right. So I was working full-time from when we left in June until December. And then uh, starting this January of this year, I was retired. So I didn't, it was a lot easier to do the boating without the, the work. <laughs> but, Congratulations on yeah. the retirement. Right. But as long as, you know, as long as we had internet, I mean, there were times when we were on the Great Lakes. I just stayed within two miles of shore. I could do Zoom meetings and uh, uh, it, it takes a little bit away from it, but uh, it was it was manageable. And I think uh, the people I worked with didn't notice a difference. So. That's good to hear. I'm sure that'll be encouraging to a lot of people because it is, um, you know, now that I'm several months into working full time and looping, it, it can be a challenge to fit everything in. Um, right. but still well worth, at least for me, doing um, rather than waiting till retirement. It sounds like you were very close to retirement, um, but you have a very interesting perspective because you did part of it while working a part of it after retirement. So, you know, what was the biggest difference between those two parts of the loop? Well, I had a lot more time to think about the looping part um, mm-hmm. because, you know, when you're working, you got to think about those things, you got to prepare for it, it impacts your schedule. Um, once I wasn't working anymore, I could be fully focused on the loop portion of it. But, you know, as I've told Deb many times, you know, we have to do these things when you can do them. Um, mm-hmm. because if you wait, you, you never know what will happen and you may never get to do it. So, uh, um, it, it was a worthwhile trade-off for me to work during that time. And, uh, even though my boss didn't like it too much, um, <laughs> what can you do when you're retiring? Right. Yeah. Well, and, and COVID kind of proved that you never know what's going to happen next. Um, right. So the biggest challenge for me, and I'm wondering if you've had the same experience, has been on places like the Trent Severn, where there's a lot of locks, um, because you can't really be on a Zoom call and be locking through at the same time. So how did you arrange your schedule to manage that type of area? Well, you know, I had, I mean, I had 
I was in control of a fair amount of my schedule and, uh, and I dealt with a lot of people early in the morning. So we just leave later a lot of times. But there were certain times where I had to be in a certain meeting at a certain time that wasn't that convenient for looping. And we would just plan to either be in a marina or you know, be stopped somewhere um, to, to accommodate that. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, definitely. Uh, when you're on the rivers, you're busy. You really can't uh, do any work while you're on right. the rivers you need to be tied up somewhere it's not like being on cruise control out in the ocean or something but right and the other question um we get consistently from people who are considering working aboard while looping is what you use for internet so tell us what your solution was and whether that worked successfully for you the majority of the time uh, i did mine almost entirely on a verizon hotspot which i used for my phone so i didn't have a separate device i just used the phone and uh, that was the marinas, as you know, typically don't have very good Wi-Fi, at least for mm -hmm. Zoom calls. So virtually everything I did off my phone. Okay, excellent. Well, so getting back a little bit more general into the story of your loop, since we took a little tangent there about the working aboard, um, you know, kind of tell us your the start time and place of your loop and and how long it took you to complete it. All right, so our, we, we keep our boat in Westbrook, Connecticut. So we actually started the loop uh, by the Statue of Liberty after we went down the East River. Uh, that was on, was that June 26th? June 26th. Yeah. June 26th. Uh, and then we completed the loop back at the Statue of Liberty on May 23rd of this year. So basically 11 months from start to finish. Um, and we during that time, we came back to Connecticut for a month in October to, to deal with some things and some work things. Mm -hmm. And then we uh, came back for Christmas for a week or two. And then we were in Florida for uh, several months waiting, obviously for everyone to start back up in April. Yeah. Did you um, calculate the total number of days underway or do you know kind of your average distance per day? Uh, our average distance to per day was 50 nautical miles. Mm -hmm. uh, we have, I think we had several days when we went over hundred nautical miles which is, that's, that's a long, long way to go. Um, but I think we were, what do we think underway? Remember what that was? It was, it was probably, well, we were, when we were traveling, other than those times when we went back to, when we were in Florida or we came back to Connecticut, we were probably underway, you know, five to six days a week. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I, think, I think that was one of the things that, that we kind of discovered about this is that, you know, when you're planning on this, you put a plan together, you figure out what you're going to try and do. And you're looking forward to seeing all the sites and all these new things. And then when you get into it, you kind of realize that this is, yes, you're going to see sites, but it's a traveling trip. So you really can't just say stop, you know, in dozens of places for a week at a time and get it done in a year. Mm -hmm. You're, you know, there's a few places you can stop, but by and large, you got to keep moving. Right. Uh, so you mentioned, you know, a 50 mile a day average, which is fairly standard, I think, for loopers. Most of the time when I ask that question, that's exactly the answer I get. Uh, but you also mentioned a few hundred plus mile days, which for some looper boats would be pretty much impossible. So this is a great time for you to go ahead and fill us in on the, the details and specs of your boat. Right. So we have a Navigator 4400. It's 48 feet length overall. Um, it's, a, it's a planing boat. It's not real fast for a planing boat, but it's a planing boat. So our our cruise speed on plane would be about 13 knots. Mm -hmm. um, so those days when we went 100 nautical miles, typically we were trying to get up to that kind of speed. Now you couldn't always do that if it was on the rivers or if it was on the Mississippi, you know, we had a nice four knot current. So it's easy to go pretty fast going down the Mississippi. Right. Um, 
so it was nice to have the faster boat for those few times when um, it would be helpful. But of course, we've learned a lot more fuel doing that. Um, yeah. We have, Did you track we have those fuel stats? Uh, yeah, we burned 5,613 gallons. So that's probably pretty close to what we're on track to do aboard the perch too. And it's it's kind of a, a little smaller than your boat, but a similar style um, right. boat. Right. So, um, you know, tell us more about, I think you were starting to go into what kind of engines she has. Uh, it's got two Volvo uh, TAMD 63L. So those are 318 horsepower piece. So I get about 640 horsepower. Uh, it's got two staterooms, it's got a salon, and it's a pilot house boat. So it's, it's got a lot of room on it along with the flybridge. Uh, and it's our, so we've been boating a long time. We bought the boat in 2016 uh, as our third cruising boat, uh, primarily to cruise, but also we knew that we would potentially like to do the loop. So we bought it to be able to do that. So the height was a key issue. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're right at 19 and a half feet at our top of our light on the boat. And, um, and so we, we took it down when we went through Chicago, but uh, height was never really an issue as it, as it turned out on that boat, but we couldn't go through the whole Erie Canal and those kinds of things. Um, and we, uh, one of my commitments to Deb on this is that we'd have a washer dryer. So we added a washer dryer to it too, because uh, as she said, she doesn't want to be schlepping uh, clothes to the laundromat <laughs> all the time. So. Now, CW, you should have just made Fred do that. <laughs> I know. Yeah, she doesn't like the results of me washing clothes. No. <laughs> but, I, but I will say this, Deb, one, you know, the washer dryer was new to us. So I know a lot of people have these you know, single, you know, it's a combined washer dryer, one of the Splendid things. Mm -hmm. uh, after about two months, Deb, Deb became an expert on how not to get wrinkles in that. It took a lot wow. of experience to figure out how to, how to do that. Yes. Yeah, Every I... You may be the first person I know who's figured that out. So <laughs> a lot of a lot of those combo units are kind of famous for just scrunching everything up into a ball as it's attempting to to dry it. So um, yeah, yep, just one of the challenges of a little bit of a different lifestyle there. But right. um, you told us a little bit about some of your cruising preferences in terms of kind of you know your average miles per day and the number of days a week you traveled. Tell us you know a little bit more about any of those kind of norms for you meaning did you prefer to anchor or go to marinas or some of both and um you know when you did choose to stay to explore someplace how long did you typically stay right so uh, the navigate you know we like to anchor up we anchored out in our other first two boats but when we got the navigator we found out it was it's quite what they call an active boat so it doesn't take a lot of wind it swings back and forth it tends to pull up the anchor and i think my anchoring skills weren't as good as they needed to be so my commitment to Deb when we took the trip was is that we would do our best not to anchor ever. Mm -hmm. So out of that, we uh, we only anchored once, uh, a little diversion channel down the Mississippi River because there's not a lot between there. And we were on lock walls or, or other things like that five times. And all the rest of the nights we were in a marina. Mm -hmm. So that's 300 and some nights in a marina. And um, so that worked great great for us. It was a little different in that you, you know, we like to have a reservation because uh, they didn't want to show up and not have a place. And a lot of people who anchor out, no problem. If I can't get a, a slip, I'll go anchor out. So we weren't going to do that. And I know you're like, you're in Mackinac city right now. Yes. A year ago, a year ago, we were in Mackinac Island, uh, which is one of our longest days where they're about five days. And we had visitors come up and meet us there. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but a lot of challenges and you know this time of year especially up there in the northern part of lake michigan or lake the great lakes to find a place to stay 
uh, all the way around to Charlevoix. And uh, so we had to be really flexible on uh, where we wanted to stay. And, and of course, typically you can't make those reservations more than two or three nights in advance because you need to know what the weather's going to be to know if you're going to get there. Um, right. The marinas uh, we had, I think we liked other, I think we liked all the marinas that we stayed in except for one. And, um, and you know, but there's a wide variety, right? Some very nice ones and some very rural ones. Um, it, it, it absolutely is, is a pretty wide spectrum. And, and yet we're here in uh, Mackinac City, have not gone over to Mackinac Island yet. Um, you know, kind of checked that out when we finally had a pretty decent idea of when we'd be in this area and there was no availability. Um, but we're, we'll be here for a little time while we catch up on some travel and an AGLCA event. So we're going to call the next time we have an opportunity. Um, and from what I hear, there is a better chance kind of day of at Mackinac Island, at least. So, um, and a lot of the Michigan harbors, um, because they tend to save a few for transient slips. So we'll see what we can do, but if not, there's a ferry, um, that runs from here. And if that sounds like a great option too, because with our travel schedules, we don't want to end up getting weathered in over on Mackinac Island. That yeah, would right. be a challenge. Um, but yeah, so many people talk about Mackinac Island being a highlight. So I'm glad you got to spend some extended yeah. time there. We of course could see the grand hotel from the waterway coming in yesterday right. and it looks absolutely beautiful so but the other thing that i found really interesting when i kind of looked at the pre-interview notes about this were your comments on the navigator um and the fact that it's pretty active at anchor um because right. that's the same experience with our silverton um and we love to anchor but it's not I sleep like a baby but my <laughs> michael um absolutely does not because we are it doesn't even actually seem to take any wind um, for us to just start right. doing that right. Right. waggle. And um, sometimes the speed at which you are swinging <laughs> is pretty substantial. So it becomes, you know, of course, you've got your anchor alarms and, you know, the location apps that can help you know that you have not uh, drifted um, or dragged anchor. But that's not but, but, a real confidence giver when you're moving so fast. Well, I can so tell you. Yeah, we've evolved to do the same as you where we're mostly doing marinas. Right, so our experience before we left, so this is doing our home waters and anchoring was uh, uh, the anchor, ultimately the anchor would pull up at one in the morning, the winds would be, you know, 15 to 20 miles an hour and I have to wake Deb up and uh, get her to go up on the bow and I'm running the engines to try to set the anchor and, you know, you're trying not to annoy the other people around you that have sailboats that don't have a lot of windage. And so right. that happened to us twice with the navigator and that's why we said we just aren't gonna. Done. But, but I have to say, <laughs> I'm sure you've experienced this. You know, it's one thing when you're out in those open, more open waters or, or you know, like you have in, in the uh, harbors there in Michigan. But, you know, like a uh, little diversion channel or on the rivers, you know, where you're pretty protected from the waters, probably not so bad or where you're throwing out a stern anchor. Um, but, uh, yeah, I measured it once. We went through 70 degrees each direction. So it was 140 degrees was the total swing in the wind. And that puts a lot of stress on the anchor and uh, a lot of stress on us. I'd have to stay up all night to pay attention to it. So, uh, And that's exactly, we've anchored twice on the trip early on. Um, and they were actually pretty decent nights on anchor compared to some of what we did back home in Charleston because the current runs through Charleston so fast that it's right. normal to swing, you know, 360 degrees in a matter of two right. tide cycles around the anchor. Um, but we had that same experience. You described a 1 a.m. wake up from the anchor alarm and both of us on deck in the pitch black. Yes. trying to figure out if we were actually dragging or not. I still think we actually weren't. Michael still thinks we actually were. 
but regardless of if we were or we weren't, we were both up in the middle of the night trying to reset the anchor just in case. And that's not really a fun experience. So um, we've gotten asked a lot, you know, how come we don't anchor more? And it's, uh, you know, the short answer is it's personal preference. <laughs> right. But this discussion is kind of the reason behind that. And with a different hull design, we probably would be anchoring a whole lot more. So right. 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 Goes sometimes, um, you know, it's... Um, can save a lot of money by anchoring, but if you're not going to sleep for days at a time on the hook, then to me, it's not worth it. So, yeah. Well, one of the advantages of being a boater beforehand, so, so if, I, after talking to a lot of people, I hadn't appreciated how many people do the loop that really have never had a boat of any significant size. It means mm -hmm. not a small percentage, it's huge. So, I know for, for people like that, you know, they're really on two adventures. One is buying his first big boat the whole transaction of dealing with that. And the second thing is doing the loop. So for us, it really was a focused on, on the adventure of doing the loop. And, um, and I think, uh, well, so we knew what the anchoring was going to be like yeah. on our boat ahead of time. So we knew what we weren't going to do, but I think if we didn't know that we would just like, you know, we go experience it and then we have to change our plans. Mm -hmm. and, and there's definitely a big difference in the cost in, and staying in marinas every night versus anchoring out. So if you had a budget for anchoring out 60, 70% of the time and you had to change it to all marinas, you, you would have a major budget problem. Yeah, that's a great point. And that is, um, you know, just another reason why we recommend, you know, particularly if you're new to boating, but also new to the boat that you'll be doing right. a great loop. Right. You know, best plan, um, in my opinion, is to take a year or so using it in your home waters just to get used to it. You'll, you'll turn up things like, wow, I thought I would love anchoring and I don't. <laughs> or you may turn up um, you know, things that you thought worked or didn't work or were harder or easier. And all that time while you're figuring it out, if you do need assistance, you've got your local kind of trusted service providers around you. So that if you, um, you know, have somebody do some work on the boat and run into an issue 200, miles later those 200 miles may have been you know nearby and you're still there where people who know your boat can help you so i think that's great advice as well and it sounds like you had it for about uh four or five years before you started the loop right but i would say it's you know I mean, obviously as we went through the loop we had things happen we had things that needed to be maintained we didn't have any serious issues but it's much harder to deal with those issues while you're moving and while you're trying to maintain some schedule as opposed to being in our own marina for three months you know for the summer when you can drive down you can get your park you can do it yourself you can forget the park go get another park because you can drive there whereas you know you if you haven't done it before you're ultimately it just takes a lot longer to go fix something you should be able to fix yourself um in almost all these places you know because you don't have a car now, and you may not have the experience to do it and trying to find uh, a contractor, someone to do it is, well, it's expensive, but it's also hard to find qualified people. Right. I'm sure you've, it's just really hard to get them in a timely fashion. So. Especially right now where, you know, interest in boating and the number of people boating, whether it's looping or, you know, just general weekend boating on smaller boats, the numbers have risen so much during COVID that right. most of the service providers are extremely backlogged. Um, right. So re it really can be a challenge. So you kind of an extended um, shakedown cruise while you're near home and have a, a, like I said, a set of trusted service providers is really always a good idea, but probably a better idea than ever right now when parts, you know, supply chain issues are still there and service providers are booked up with their regular customers. So really good advice. 
Um, let's take a break for a moment and play a message from one of our sponsors. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit about kind of, you know, your expectations, because Fred, this was kind of a 20 year plan for you. And Deb, right. you maybe were not on board for 20 years. <laughs> um, so you both certainly came into this with a set of expectations. So I want to talk a little bit about what those expectations were versus the reality. And of course, some of the highlights of the trip. So we'll be back in just a moment. Curtis Stokes and Associates is a yacht brokerage company that specializes in great loop capable boats. Curtis Stokes is a supporter of AGLCA at the Admiral level. If you're looking to buy or sell a Great Loop veteran from a trusted and knowledgeable broker, visit the company on the web at curtisstokes.net. Email curtisstokes at curtisstokes.net or call 954-684-0218. We're back on Great Loop Radio. Today we're continuing our series on the story of our loop and the loopers whose story we are sharing are Deb and Fred. They looped aboard a Navigator 4400. And we are about to talk about kind of their expectations versus the reality of the trip. And I know you each may have different expectations. So if, if either of you would prefer to go first, that is fine. But I'd love to hear from both of you on that. I'm going to let Deb go first. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was reluctant uh, early on in the 20 years because our kids were not very old. Mm -hmm. they, uh, our daughter was in seventh grade. So I sure wasn't going to take off and you know, have that on them. Mm -hmm. But then we, you know, the kids graduated college and started looking better to do. And I don't know, just the thought of being that long away from family, um, you know, was difficult for me. Mm -hmm. sure. So uh, it was nice that his work called him home in October, because then we could go back and we could see our daughter's family and with the three grandchildren. And uh, then we made it home for the holidays, mm -hmm. same thing. Uh, and then March, we went back and spent all of March in Connecticut. Mm -hmm. So it turned out okay. Um, people say, well, you know, would you do a second loop? I probably wouldn't do a second loop, but I would absolutely do the first loop again. It was just <laughs> a great experience. Gotcha. I love that answer, actually. I never really pondered that. But, I, you know, when you first said I wouldn't do a second one, but I would do the first one again, I kind of thought about that for a minute and that I get it. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, kind of the, the newness and the novelty and the accomplishment of it um, really makes sense. Um, Absolutely. So it sounds like the trips home were really kind of key for you, Deb, to kind of get that, you know, connection with the family again, um, face to face instead of virtually. Um, which is one of the nice things about the Great Loop is you are never far from some place to get a car or a plane or whatever it will take to get home. True. Um, so it sounds like that made it a little bit more comfortable for you. Um, yes. Fred, how about you? What were your kind of expectations? You were the one who was kind of pushing this. So um, <laughs> well, so your I, expectations? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It, I, absolutely. I thought it'd be a, a great fun thing to do. We get to see a lot of different places. We get to have a great time on the boat. Um, so largely it met my expectations. I think the things that I found that were uh, different, one was just, just how flexible you have to be when you're doing the trip. Um, probably like most people, you know, I put a plan together of what we were going to do because you need to have some kind of plan, but you know, the weather changes, uh, things happen and you need to accelerate, decelerate those things. I know you know you all have talked the AGCLA's talked all all the time about not having a schedule, mm -hmm. 
Uh Um, So our first schedule was we were meeting uh, uh, my sister in Mackinac Island and they were flying from Virginia up there. So we had to get there by the time they were getting up there. And, and definitely, and that was, you know, months, you know, from, we didn't meet until August. So having that schedule you had to meet and knowing, well, I got to get through certain places. I got to get through, definitely changed the mindset a little bit. So minimizing how many um, hard points you set like that um, definitely is helpful to, to probably mental health to, to do that. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I think, you know, the rivers were, you know, the Mississippi river, now, my understanding when we were on the rivers was everyone said they were low. My understanding was that they were just at normal level, but they're much lower than they've been in the past years. And um, even so, on the Mississippi River, that was, you just realize that's just not a tameable river and how powerful that is. And, um, that, that was an incredible experience on that. Yeah. And, and taking our, the web shot of us, you know, going by uh, the St. Louis Arch where you can see the webcam, you can see going by and see how tiny the little boat is out there. Yeah. Um, that was a great, great experience. And, and you get a much better appreciation of the rivers and how important they were just to, to the commerce in the U.S. And of course, that's, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's a more rural area now. It's not really, you know, it's kind of flyover country, but it wasn't, you know, that was the center of everything for a long time. And I, I really enjoyed seeing all of that. Um, but it, it was great, great experience. I, I think probably the other thing that was unique to me was traveling up the East Coast and seeing, once again, looking at the history. So you leave Florida, so we stayed in Melbourne. That's a very Florida kind of culture. By the time we got to St. Augustine, it became a Southern kind of culture. And then we get up to South Carolina and I didn't, we didn't really understand the rice culture back you know, before the Civil War. And you go to Georgetown and Charleston and, and uh, Beaufort and they're all competing for who's... Uh, who should have been running South Carolina. And, mm-hmm. uh, and that's much different than say in Virginia where we grew up and this, the whole pre-Civil War stuff there. So seeing all that as you go up the coast was really interesting to see how the, the colonies all de- dealt with that differently. And, uh, yeah. Any other uh, highlights you wanna share, whether it be moments or places that you visited? Well, Mackinac Island was, was I think well, Northern Michigan was, was really, you wanna comment on that? Yeah, definitely Mackinac Island. But one thing that I would like to warn people about in the Mississippi River locks, Mississippi mm-hmm. River, yeah. yeah, where they have the floating bollards, mm-hmm. do not tie off and go in and take a nap because mm-hmm. I always stood there just holding the line. You know, it, it was wrapped, but mm-hmm. I just held it. And there was one time Fred went inside for a few minutes and we started going down, down, down. And all of a sudden, you know, the bollards up here. And I was like, what's going on? And I was just getting ready to reach for my knife that I keep attached to my swim vest or PFD. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, I think the boat must have really tugged on it and it went boosh, wow. about 10 feet down. And so I was like, whoa. And it ended up being where it was supposed to be, but it kind of did this the rest of the time. So, uh-huh. <laughs> so, so yeah. a nice place is though, back to that. Just so Mackinac Island was, it's just such a unique place, right? No cars. Right. Um, that you, you don't see anything like that. I think, you know, we wanted to go to Charlevoix because, you know, that's another one that's on the list. Couldn't get in there. Uh, we went to North Springs and, uh, you know, there's so many nice places there around Northern Michigan. I, I don't think we missed a lot by doing that. 
And mm-hmm. I think that was part of the lesson is there's a lot of places we went that were interesting and we would have never picked them because we either hadn't heard about them. Uh, right. Paducah, you know, you guys, you know, talk about Paducah being people really liking that and the quilt museum and all that. And it's a, it's a great place, mm-hmm. very accommodating. Um, I think, you know, just a lot of unique, probably the most unique one I think was we, we were going, because we, we, because of COVID, we couldn't go up to Trent Sever, so we were going mm-hmm. around all the lakes. And just we're tr- just south of Michigan, and we were trying to get in, going from uh, uh, Sandusky and trying to get into a safe harbor marina where everyone else was staying. We couldn't get in there, so we picked this other yacht club, called them up, and they said, oh, yeah, we, we got a space. You can come in and do that. We get there and find out they're having a regatta, which... In New England, a regatta means you're having a sailing, you're sailing, you're having a party. Apparently in, this, in Michigan, it means you're just having a party. <laughs> and, and we get there, they say, oh yeah, you're here for the regatta, right? So we didn't pay anything to stay there because they just said, you're here for the regatta. They had this wonderful fish fry that people were really nice. We would have never, you know, even though it was in the waterway guide, we would have never picked, right. picked it. And we probably had, at the Marines, we probably had several dozen experiences like that where we went somewhere where we didn't plan to go and it was just a very people were very friendly and very unique and very mem- those are the most memorable experiences actually yeah kind of the unplanned ones that turn out to be you know delightful um tell us you know a lot of people finish the loop and they talk about you know it changed them or something that they gained from the experience did anything like that that you can share well i think debbie should talk about us being together in the boat for that long yeah. <laughs> yeah people ask that all the time you know mm-hmm. or how did you do staying on the boat you know that long with one other person and the reality is at the end of the cruise each day he would go up to the flybridge and I would stay down in the cabin and we just had to go to our separate corners but ultimately I think it brought us closer together mm-hmm. you know because we had to trust each other and we had to work with each other and I think our relationship now is better than it was when we left. Wow. Amazing. That was unexpected. That was unexpected. We got yeah. along great. Uh, yeah, it was great. That was, it was great from that, that perspective. And we both, you know, we are comfortable with the boat and our roles on it. So. Yeah. So um, I guess before we wrap up, just since you're fairly, you know, just a few months off the loop, how is the adjustment back to living you know in your dirt home been has it been challenging or was it a smooth transition right into the back to the old way of life well so for me when i went from working to the end of december and then being retired it really wasn't that much of a change because being on the boat you're still maintaining this pace every day and you're you're doing something and you're planning ahead and doing those kinds of things so i actually didn't have the feeling of being retired until we got back here and then now we're in our house, and of course we got all this extra room. But it's like, well, so now what am I going to do? I'm not planning for where we're going to be next week or the next three days. Or we're not, you know, doing our engine checks in the morning and cruising somewhere. So yeah, it was kind of like a withdrawal symptom, like like. Yeah. And now what are we going to do? Um, I think, well, for you, you you got overwhelmed wow. by your our daughter. Uh, our daughter knew we were here, and uh, she had her scheduled. <laughs> Perfect. Keeps you busy. <laughs> Yeah, I think there's a sense of depression, though. I mean, I had that, you know, I'm still seeing the great loop 
Facebook pages and postings. You miss being out there. Yeah, and people are saying, oh, we're here, we did this. I'm like, I remember that. And it's like, I want to be there. And, and, you know, it's such a community when you're, the groups you're with are cruising at the same time. You see them, you know, we saw one boat um, the first day we were on the loop and we saw them again crossing Lake Michigan. And we saw them again in Melbourne, Florida. And we saw them again uh, when we stopped at their home port in, uh, I think, in Bellhaven. Mm-hmm. And we didn't have any plans. to. So you, you see it and then you watch the people and you see all that. And then when you're out of it, you're not part of that group anymore. And uh, so, yeah, it definitely is a, you know, I tell people, you know, I belong to three clubs. I got my work club that I belong to because I got to deal with that. Uh, and I've got my loop club, you know, and we deal in all of that. I forget what the other one was, but it's definitely the camaraderie of all the loopers is, is incredible. And you yeah. de- we, I think we definitely miss that. So how are you getting past that, you know, kind of depression of finishing the loop? Because I hear people, you know, call it post-loop blues and it's a pretty common yeah. thing, um, but everybody seems to move past that in a different way. Uh, any idea what is, you know, getting you over that and, and moving on with whatever's next? Well, I think, I think part of it was, you know, taking our blog. We, we did a blog only for ourselves. I mean, a few mm-hmm. people followed it. We were only doing it for ourselves. So taking that and getting that put into a hard copy book, yeah. um, which is in one sense is pretty easy, but it takes a little work because the formats are different. So we have actually a, a thousand pages, four volumes, thousand pages book. Um, wow. Yeah. And then we've, we've taken, our, you know, just, so just kind of finalizing the cruise. Yeah. Um, putting it in something more permanent, taking our, our gold burgee and our, our, nice, uh, our nice fully used white burgee and getting <laughs> that mounted. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's, what's, that's what really will bring closure to it is getting those momentous and all the, you know, a few other things put together. We'll put that, make a little shrine or something in our house and put that up there. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Yeah. Well, before we wrap up, just I don't want to let this interview end um, without Deb saying kudos to you. Um, the the Bollard story must have been very scary, um, but yeah. it sounds like you knew all the right things to do. And the fact that you did have a knife and were ready to use it, um, I think far too many loopers aren't prepared for that moment. And it, it does happen. And it wasn't even a you know case. You know, that was just the equipment. Sounds like it, the equipment failed. Um, yeah. So uh, kudos to you for being ready for that situation. Um, I'm glad it kind of resolved itself. Um, But like I said, I don't, that level of preparedness um, is not as common as it should be, I think. So (laughs) I I like that you shared uh, that, but you had done everything there was to do. So we thank the looper, the classes we went through, and particularly for the fullers for giving us that advice. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. One more question. I know I already said we were going to end, but I have neglected to ask you your boat's name and where it came from, because those are usually interesting stories. Okay, so the name of our boat is Taurus, T-A-U-R-U-S. Uh, our last name is Bull. That's why the name of the boat is Taurus. Uh, it's, it's 2004. We bought it in 2016. We bought it in uh, Warwick, Rhode Island, mm-hmm. which is relatively close to where we are here. And, um, and brought it, we keep it in Westbrook, Connecticut. Well, and I love the relation to your last name because it makes it easy for people to remember you too. So, right. <laughs> yep. Fred and Deb, thank you so much for sharing your story today. I've really enjoyed chatting with you and I'm sure others are going to be inspired by what you've shared. So thank you. Great. Thank you Thanks, very much, Kim. Kim. Enjoy yeah, the rest of your day. Thank you so much. And to everyone who has watched or listened today, we'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising. <laughs>